Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast where we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety Intelligence Platform. My guest today first rose to fame on YouTube, where she's still going strong today. But Lily Singh also has a second job you might have heard about, as host of her own late-night talk show on NBC. She must be doing something right, because A Little Late with Lily Singh just got renewed for a second season. So it's great to talk with her today about how she juggles a career in two different mediums. Congratulations, Lily. So is this the kind of thing where you were sweating this renewal or you knew you had it in the bag? Well, first of all, thank you. I'm so excited to be here chatting about this. Um, definitely. No, I was sweating. I think if I could summarize season one in any way or this whole experience in any way, it would be all of the emotion. I am constantly in a state of nervousness, being excited, being grateful, being honored, feeling like I need to puke a little bit, all of the above for sure. Well, don't puke now, but I'll, I'll try. what I'm curious about is when, we, when you hear about late night talk show hosts in their first year, no matter how successful they are, it's a tough road. You're finding your voice, you're learning the ropes. So what was it like for you in year one? I mean, that's exactly correct. This is the first time I've done anything like this. You know, I come from the digital world where I am the editor and I am the writer and I am the on-screen actress and I do all of the things. I am the standards and practices. And so going into this world, if I'm just being really honest with you, it was challenging. I did have to learn an entirely new world. Um, And just like my first video on YouTube, you know, there were moments and episodes where I was a little uncomfortable when I was super out of my comfort zone and making mistakes and learning from the mistakes and just constantly trying to level up um, was my experience. But I think just like with anything else, it takes practice and it takes experience. And I'm really proud of what we did in season one, but I'm also super pumped to improve and do even better in season two. And how hands-on are you in terms of producing the show? I mean, as you mentioned, from your YouTube days, you were probably a one-woman show doing a bit of everything. So is it a big adjustment? Do you have to sort of lose control to some degree? Um, <laughs> I have all of the hands. Let me just say, I tried. I, it was actually a learning curve for me. If I'm being honest, when I first started, I thought I'm going to be involved in every single script and every monologue. I'm going to have review every single episode. There was a lot I wanted to do, and I managed to do a lot of it, probably admittedly at the cost of sleep and a little bit of sanity because I did review almost every single episode, which is not typical, I think, of most hosts. I sat there in the editing room being like, cut that, let's change camera angle, do all that. It took me a little bit of time to let go of some of that control, but I think that's what comes with the learning process, right? learning how to delegate, learning that these people are experts at what they do. Um, I'm definitely going to try to delegate more in season two, but I still think in je- by nature, I'm a pretty hands-on person. You know, My name is in the show title. It's my point of view that I'm sharing, which I believe is an extremely valuable and unique point of view in the late night space. And so I want to make sure that things have my personal touch. And that's important to me. And if that means sometimes sleeping a little less, I'm going to have to find the balance of of doing that sometimes. So how involved was the network? Because that's also something that you hear a lot about first year shows, lots of notes, lots of pointers, uh, or do they give you free reign? I'm going to say, ultimately, I'm pretty grateful and impressed with NBC in this regard. Of course, some episodes where I'm getting a little too risque, they're going to be like, all right, rain it back a little bit. You're here, we're here. Of course, they have standards and practices, and that was a learning curve. But for the most part, 
they let me be who I was. That was my number one concern when I got the late night show was, am I going to be, you know, encouraged to be someone else or, or, or fit a mold? And I can genuinely say that that was not the case. Of course, people shared with me best practices, their point of view, what they thought would work and not work. But at the end of the day, no one made me ever be something I'm not. Was there any particular joke that you remember or any kind of vein of humor where you had to learn that there were some sensitivities that you might not have otherwise experienced on YouTube? Absolutely. So I think just like with YouTube, you know, there's, there's you got to make mistakes. I mean, the reality is you have to make mistakes when you do things like this or you will never grow. And if I reflect back on back on some episodes, there were things that I didn't word properly or or even the thing more so the case was there were certain times where I did feel like hmm, this this humor, I think I'm I'm trying to dive into the late night world. And so I'm poking fun at celebrities and trends. And sometimes I felt, is this a little mean spirited? But no, it can't be. It's late night. And when I watch back this episodes, I think, hmm, maybe I, maybe I should have phrased that joke a little differently. And I think I had to go through that process to learn that. But um, I think going into season two, something I really want to prioritize is positivity and love and all the things I stand for in real life and kind of feel less of the pressure of late night being jabby in some ways because it can be a little bit like that um and in small doses that's okay but by nature that's not necessarily who i am so that's something i definitely learned so will season two be in any way different than what you were doing in season one any any significant changes well i absolutely hope so because i feel like if you know for our season one we always said we want to mess with the format and we want to really break the mold of what people have seen on late night we did to a certain extent, but at the same time, I was learning a whole new world, like I said. So there's only so much breaking and <laughs> redefining you can do when you're learning the ropes, the very basic ropes of that thing. And so I think now that I have more experience and, and I know how the game goes, I definitely do really want to just break the rules of the format of late night. I want to have people that we otherwise would not see on late night in terms of guests. And so I definitely want to change things. I think. If the first episode and last episode of season two look the same, I would consider that not growth and not a great thing. And I want to make sure they look different. So what kind of guests might, who's on your dream list? Who do you want to have in season two? I mean, listen, sir, we have the people that I've always wanted, such as the Beyonce's. I also have just learned from, you know, I had the honor of having Malala on my show. And for me personally, that was one of my favorite episodes because I got to really dive deep into her work and just things I've always wanted to ask her about her experiences and turn into this really sweet, genuine, and powerful moment. And I think there's other people like that, from the Emma Watsons to the activists that are local to their communities that are doing awesome things. I just want to have really good conversations with people. I mean, in some instances, yes, it's great to have a shiny celebrity. In other instances, I think there's so much power and value and just amazingness and having people just have a story. I don't really care about their celebrity profile. I just want good conversation and good stories. Now, from what I understand, the way you guys produced in season one, you've already, you've wrapped your season back in December and you shot multiple episodes per day. And those episodes aired sometimes months uh, into the future. Uh, I would imagine it's gonna be a little different this time. Yeah, so there's pros and cons to doing that. Um, 
In season one, we shot 96 episodes in three months. And when I tell that to people, like, are you like, you just did right now. Did you sleep? I mean. Yeah, in their face, they're smiling, but their eyes are saying you're a crazy person. And I see that because you just want <laughs> um, Yeah, it's, there's pros and cons. It's great because, you know, it allows me to fulfill some of my other ambitions. It allows you to have a tight-knit crew and, and, a, and, a, and production where everyone is committed for a certain amount of time. So there's a lot of pros to doing that. Now, we're in a very unprecedented time where <laughs> I wrapped season one and then unfortunately the world was hit with a pandemic and where everyone else, it's kind of an ironic joke, went back to shooting their show at home, something I've done for 10 years. I was already wrapped and my shows all have a live audience. So this really timely conversation around quarantining um, is so important and everyone else is doing it and I am not able to because my shows are shot and we don't address the pandemic at all. So. It was definitely a learning experience. It was definitely interesting. Um, we will make changes for season two. I don't plan to have that schedule for just being topical, my sanity, for sleep, for the clearness of my skin, for the grays on my head. For all of those reasons, we're going to extend that schedule. But can I just tell you, after that, I really feel like I can do everything. I truly believe I can do anything. You are battle-tested. Yes, I am just... Ready to go here. Ready to go. So uh, the thing is, I can understand, you know, the appeal of actually sort of not having to deal with topicality and, you know, providing a certain kind of uh, world where people don't have to be reminded of the issues that are going on. Uh, but do you think in this new season with this new schedule, you'll be able to be a bit more topical at times? And what kind of topics do you think you'll touch on? Well, that's definitely the goal. Um, for as much as we can be topical, that is, of course, the goal. I don't know if it's going to always be possible, but we're going to try to make it possible. In terms of topics, I have never particularly been someone who discusses politics. There's a few reasons for that. I mean, of course, I understand the importance of voting and the importance of being informed, but it's a little bit of an interesting situation because I myself cannot vote in the country I live in. I am a Canadian with a, with a late night show. Having said that, there are issues I'm very passionate about and that I'm very vocal about, whether it's gender equity, whether it's about legislation regarding women's bodies, whether it's about um, education. There's things that I'm very passionate about and I will continue to talk about through comedy because I think comedy is a great vehicle for doing that. But yes, I do think to a certain extent having content that is evergreen and does help people skip is also important because if people are like me, they want to be informed, but they also sometimes want to escape after a long day. And I want that option to also exist. You know, there's lots of places you can go to get informed and hear jokes about politics. I feel like less and less there are places where you can go where you are not reminded of that. So I want to find the balance. You mentioned being Canadian. That's just one of the ways you're different than pretty much just about everyone in late night. For starters, you're not a man. Yeah, you're of Indian descent, you're bisexual. There's all these different things than what you see from the standard host. Do you think that's helped you cut through the clutter? Um, yes and no. You know, it's a really complex thing because obviously when my late night show was announced, a lot of headlines said just that. You know, it said Canadian, the, the hyphenates were extreme. Like the headlines were this one. Canadian, Indian, person with long hair, dog bomb. Like it went on and on and on about who I am. And 
of course I'm proud of that because I really truly do believe representation matters. And I think when you see an episode with me and Mindy Kaling and we're making references about things from our upbringing that are so unique to our culture, that's beautiful and awesome. But at the same time, I don't want to be defined as that. And I, I'm kind of, if I'm being honest, I'm stuck in a little bit of a loop where I don't quite know how to handle it. Because when I'm doing a monologue and I'm talking about my experience, at one hand, I feel like, I'm so much more than all these hyphenates. But at the other hand, my point of view is so influenced by those hyphenates. So um, it's kind of this weird pattern of being defined by it and not being defined by it. So I'm honestly still trying to figure it out and what it means and how to navigate it. My solution is to truly just be myself. Everything is from my point of view and my point of view happens to be those hyphenates. So. Got it. And of course, you know, in addition to everything that you're doing on NBC, there's that whole YouTube career that is going strong. How do you how do you balance the two? If you're doing 12 hour shoots, you know, 96 episodes, how do you have time to keep video coming to your channel? Very poorly. <laughs> Very poorly. Um, it's, you know, before season one started, I remember being like, oh, I'm going to bank a bunch of YouTube videos. Oh, I'm going to keep uploading during season one. Then season one happened and I was like, oh, this is a lot of work and I really want this to be good. And so I, this YouTube needs to take a backseat. I don't have the answer of how I'm going to navigate in this, this in season two. I just know that YouTube continues to be a huge priority for me. I mean, that is where my community is. That is where my core fan base is. I believe in the digital space so much. I'm going to try to figure out a way. And I think going back to your previous question about the schedule, I think expanding the late night schedule will allow me to insert some days where I can do YouTube, but no, definitely I feel like I have three full-time jobs all the time. Um, it's super stressful and exciting, and would I have it any other way? Absolutely not. I think busy is a blessing, and I think I recognize this opportunity. I recognize what an honor it is. And I think the one thing that will change, if I'm being honest, in season two is I don't think I'll feel guilty about it. I think season one, I felt really guilty. I was like, oh, I didn't post a YouTube video. I didn't do this. I really want this show to be great. I understand the path it could pave. I understand the opportunity I have. Uh, I'm going to try my best to balance both, but if we need to teeter from backseat to backseat, then I am going to do that. Okay. Well, did you ever get counsel or advice from, I don't know, an agent, the network to say like, listen, you got to just, this, this whole YouTube thing's got to go. You're a TV star now. Um, no one really says that to me. The thing about people counseling me is I'm in such a unique space, you know? Other late night hosts didn't necessarily come from the digital space. They were on TV and then they now migrated to the digital space. I am in a very unique position where there's very few people I could ask for in terms of advice because I have one foot on each ladder, really, to be honest. There were other people that gave me other sound advice. You know, Trevor Noah, I keep referencing this because it was the most beautiful piece of blatant and blunt advice I needed. He said, everyone's going to tell you that you'll be able to do other things during the show and you'll have balance during the show and you should know that's a lie. You should know that you're going to go to this show and it's going to consume your entire life and it will take up every moment of your day. And I was like, huh, but he was not wrong. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. Um, I, I think anyone that says to me that don't worry about YouTube, you're on TV now is naive. I think digital space is such... It can't be ignored. We're not in the, the, living in the time anymore where you can just say YouTube's YouTube. And it's just, a, no, that's how a lot of people consume content. And it's um, the, the lines between traditional and digital are definitely blurring. 
you know, there's been a lot of internet stars that have tried to make this transition and have not made it work. What do you think has enabled you to dodge something? You know, it, there's been others that have really stumbled with this. I mean, listen, I can only speak to my experience. I, what I can say, and this is just me being like, looking straight into my webcam, su super candid. It's really hard. It is super, super hard to do. There's been countless times where I have been pretty close to giving up, if I'm being honest, because you come from a world where you are your own boss, where you have these rigid schedules uploading things. And that's really tiring. I know people think like a 10 minute YouTube video, how long could that take? But those are, that takes a lot of energy and social media is a 24 seven job. And so you already have that. And then to try to transition into something else on top of keeping up with your socials and doing brand partnerships and doing events and doing all of these things, it is a lot. And now when you go to late night, especially for me, I had all of these ideas that I wanted to do, which there's so many reasons you can't do them on late night because of, because of unions or because of rules, because of standards and practices. That's not a bad thing. It's just a different machine. And so I really did feel like the dumbest person in the room a lot of times where I thought, wow, I have to learn a whole new set of everything. And I could see in that moment how people would be like, why am I doing this? Let me just be my own boss again on YouTube. And so it's really hard. It's really, really hard. The, I, if I'm being honest, there's some days on season one where I left feeling that was a great episode. This is amazing. I'm so proud. This is exactly what I wanted to do. But just like anything else, there's some days where I literally cried for hours in my green room being like, I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to navigate this. And I should just give up. So I have nothing besides positive energy towards anyone who has ever stumbled in this process because it's a doozy for sure. Well, what do you think it is in terms of, is there something about the nature of the appeal of YouTube stars or stars on other platforms that possibly doesn't translate to TV that maybe you figured out how to navigate? Um, oh, yes and no. I feel like the style and, and the way in which we do things doesn't necessarily translate to TV because now you have a crew of so many people and the more people you have, the more complex processes get. Um, I think it's easier to do a jump cutting video and execute something when it's you and a smaller crew in some ways, to be honest. When it's me and my YouTube crew, I do feel like we uh, move at a different pace, but the quality of our product doesn't compare to the quality of, of a TV show at the same time. So there's definitely pros and cons. I think what it is is that more than anything, it's, like I said, learning a new set of rules. I don't think that the talent doesn't translate. I don't think that the energy doesn't translate. I think it's learning a, a new world. That is what, you know, hurdles people, to be honest. Well, let me ask you this. Is, is YouTube Lily and NBC Lily the same? Because uh, when I watch both, mm -hmm. I, I see some differences. Yeah, no, definitely. I wish the answer to this question was yes. I want to sit here and tell you, yeah, listen, but I know that they are not. Mm -hmm. um, are season one NBC Lily and first YouTube video Lily the same? Yes. They're both trying their best. <laughs> there you can see glimpses of like, oh, that's really good, that's really funny, but you can tell they're still learning being done, which is why my main sentiment going into season two is like, again, like I said, I'm so proud. 96 episodes, three months. The things we did, I'm really proud. But 
for people that have been like, you know, I feel like your monologues are not kind of like you on YouTube. You're right, because I'm sitting there learning in front of three cameras, in front of a live audience with notes from a studio. I'm I'm going to have to learn and make mistakes. And so if you ask me this question four seasons from now, I'm confident my answer will be yes, that YouTube Lily, who is the real Lily, and NBC Lily, who is also the real Lily, but learning will be that's my goal. When you say something like four seasons from now, I'm curious, are you looking that far ahead? And, you know, the thing about late night TV is it is not uncommon to have careers that last decades. Are you in it for the long haul? I'm in it to win it, baby. I really want, I really believe that I can mold this show into something that consistently excites me and other people and means a lot to myself and other people more so than it already does. Um, I always know we should say never say never. You don't know what the future holds. I think right now in this time, we know that, know that more than any other time. But no, I really am grateful to NBC and my fan base for this opportunity. I know it's bigger than myself. I know that, you know, I remember there's one episode with me and Cal Penn and we we're talking about Indian restaurants. I remember so many comments under that episode being like, I have never watched a show where two people are making Hindi or Bollywood references talking about this. And I remember reading that and be like, this is why. And it's not just because of that. I don't want to say that it's just for Indian people, but it's the fact that it's a point of view that we don't see. And I think that's bigger than me. And I am in it to win it. I am going to, if I have to cry in my green room for a couple more seasons to figure it out, then I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know, you mentioned ethnic jokes. And the thing is, mm -hmm. There's criticism that comes with that. When you do that mm -hmm. kind of humor, people are going to get annoyed, even if you think it's brilliant and hilarious. And you've gotten mm -hmm. your share of criticism both on YouTube and on NBC. Do you have a thick skin that you've grown as a result of this or do you feel it? Again, I want my answer to say yes, I have thick skin, but I, if I'm being honest, of course it gets to me. If you care about something, when someone criticizes it, it's going to get to you. You know, it's why people are very protective over their children. This show is my child. And so, of course, I get affected by it. Um, am I used to it in terms of it's not my first rodeo? Of course. I've been in YouTube videos for 10 years. I've got all the comments. But I think for me is what I'm learning is I'm, I'm going to try my best to make sure I have an inclusive, positive, wonderful show. Is it going to be everyone's cup of tea? Absolutely not. That's impossible. That is truly impossible. I've learned that. Um, there's times when I make jokes about my ethnicity where people don't like it. And then there's times if I don't make jokes about my ethnicity, people think I'm not representing. So it truly is, you can't please everyone. Yeah. I just want to be myself, be true to who I am. And that's literally the only solution because you will not please everyone. And I can tell you truthfully on any situation or any issue, there is a lose-lose scenario in, in some way. So just stop paying attention to it. Be who I am. If people like it, great. And if not, luckily, there's so many other things they can watch. So it's, it's great. It's a great time for content. So as you mentioned, you wrapped back in December. Uh, mm -hmm. What have you been up to in 2020? I know right now, like everyone else, you're probably homebound. Uh, you know, everyone's lives have been sort of disrupted by uh, the pandemic. But you've actually done some interesting things uh, online, some interesting uh, charitable efforts. Talk about what you've been up to. Yeah, I mean, I've done a gang of things online from supporting causes in India, 
to supporting uh, the global citizens cause, stronger together. I, I, there's, there's been many things online I've done, and I think it's so important just because it's crucial to remember this pandemic does not affect people equally. And I've always been the person to at least try to check my privilege. You know, the, the thing about privilege is it's so hard to check because it seems like it doesn't exist, but it does exist. And I'm constantly in the process of checking my privilege. And this pandemic has been just that, knowing that in India, people, some parts of India and other parts of the world, people can't socially distance, knowing that a small business is going to suffer more than a bigger mega company, you know. It's moments like this where I really try to focus on the silver lining, which is, yes, people are suffering. The world is struggling. But for me, the silver lining is the world is also coming together in a way which really, really makes me restore my faith in humanity. I think people are there for each other. People are willing to support each other. And I want to be a part of that through and through and through because at the essence, that's what I love about humanity. Like I love people and this right now is what I love about people is that we innately do care about each other. Even though sometimes when we're not in a pandemic, we like to pretend that we don't and we get distracted by things. But in moments like this, you really see at the core that people can be there for each other. I saw on your YouTube channel, you actually interviewed Dr. Fauci about a month or so ago. Uh, what was that like? Super cool. I mean, it's a huge honor to to be interviewing someone going straight to the source because, and that was really important for me because maybe you can relate. I was in so many groups with so many people who were WhatsApp doctors who were sending articles and sending facts and it was creating fear. And I thought, you know, I had this opportunity to interview Dr. Fauci. There's so many different directions I could go. Of course, I could get political, I could do all these things, but I'm like, I think it's really important to just get the facts about this virus and let people know to try to alleviate some fear and try to alleviate some misinformation because I do think misinformation is a really adds just so much more pain into the world right now. Um, so that was really cool to do with myself and two other creators. I got to do it and I thought it was a huge honor. He was very cool and very willing to talk to me, even though I knew no, like didn't know any terminology or anything about science or anything about anything he does, but he, he spoke to me like a real person. It was great. Well, but I think what's great about you doing that kind of interview is particularly on YouTube or your, your fan base is probably young and not necessarily attuned to the news. You in effect become so, something of a, a news person. It's, you're reaching an audience with serious information. Do you feel that kind of responsibility? In that instance, I definitely did. You know, because we're, like I said, in an extraordinary time where information is so valuable. So yes. Um, otherwise, in other times of my life, uh, yes and no. You know, it's an interesting balance you have to play when you have a platform because of course you want to have a sense of responsibility where you are spreading positivity, information, education, knowledge. But you can't do any of that well if you yourself are not a happy, productive, healthy person. And that's where we go over here. And to be happy, healthy, and productive, you have to be true to yourself. So, and you can't do that if you always feel like you're responsible for the masses, if you always feel like you are living for other people and delivering to other people. No, it is crucial. And I think people really need to understand that all these people that have a platform, their platform is going to mean nothing if they're not doing well for themselves. And so I think it's important for people to find the balance of doing stuff for themselves and for the masses. Uh, you know, also we're, you know, 
certainly when you're talking about NBC, you're talking about an American audience, but YouTube, it's a very global audience that you've got there. Um, mm -hmm. How do you sort of cultivate audiences outside the U.S. and resonate with them? Uh, is there is there sort of a difference in your appeal in, say, India or the U.K. or wherever uh, compared to what you're resonating with here in the U.S.? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's also why I'm pretty keen on making sure that some of my material is evergreen and is not topical because we do need to remember that a lot of these topical episodes are topical to Americans. You know, it, it is a very catered to, catered to an American audience, which is why in season two, I want to prioritize motivation, positivity, evergreen comedy, because those are universal languages. You know, and I think that's why my YouTube channel is so appealing to people worldwide because you don't need to live in America to be down one day, watch a video and feel motivated. That's a universal concept. Um, if a joke is funny, universal concept. So again, it's about striking that balance. And I do think that is a little unique to my position because I did come from a world where I have a global audience. I have a huge audience in India. And it's very important to me when I do my late night show that I'm not excluding them. I want them to be part of that conversation especially because the show gets streamed. It, it gets streamed in India, you know, and the clips go on YouTube, which is for the world. And I want my show to be for the world. Like I said, I'm Canadian. I know what it feels like to be raised. I moved to LA five years ago. I know what it feels like to feel like everything is catered to an audience. Um, of course, that audience is huge and has a lot of power. Doesn't mean that the rest of the world doesn't deserve to see content that uh, they can Well, Lily, congratulations again on the second season. Uh, you're keeping busy now on YouTube until when does the new season start, by the way? When you, you know what? I have no idea what production's going to look like because everything is currently shut down and paused. But what I can say, just as a final thought, is in case it didn't come through, 200% of my effort is going into this show. I'm extremely grateful to NBC and everyone who supported me. Um, I can't wait to learn more, come back stronger, come back with more experience. And to everyone that supported me, please keep at it because it means a lot. Clearly, I'm here right now. We're here right now. So thank you. Thanks for your time, Lily. Thank you. Bye. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. 